Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Intro, let's go with another flow. Ain't your average entertainment show More than entertainment and what's on the screen Connecting dots on what you see Have you ever wondered how it all began? The idea, how they started the plan XX actors, the whole team Mad props to those behind the scene Why did the person get into the biz? Something inside when they were a kid Who helped them out when they wanted to quit? What about the fam that gave them rocks to kick? How all the haters, they left shaming alone Find out in the entertainment zone With Paul Amadeus Lane It's a real thing Hello and welcome to the entertainment zone What's going on? It's me Paul Amadeus Lane So happy to have you with me on the show today here on ABC News Radio, KMET, AM and FM, we welcome you who are watching on Fire TV, on Roku, on the Entertainment Zone app. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We can't forget ones who are checking out the show after it's live on um, all the podcast formats, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeart. Welcome. We got a fantastic show for you today. We're going to be joined by an agent to the stars and talk about his career and some of the great people he's worked with in the entertainment industry. Coming up here in this first segment, we're going to be joined by Daphne Maxwell Reed. Yes, Aunt Viv from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. She'll be joining me talking about her long career and some of the things she had to go through to get to where she was and where she's going and some other incredible things that she's doing. Got to say what's up to my awesome segment producer, media coordinator M. What's going on? Couldn't do it without you. Also, Tyler Mikes and my wife, Rainy Days. Thank you guys so much for all that you do behind the scenes to keep things going. All right, ready to bring on our very special guest. Let's do this. And I'm so happy and honored to have my, my next guest with me, Daphne Maxwell Reed, the one, the only, the amazing. How are you, Ms. Reed? I'm doing wonderfully today. It's sunny outside and I'm well. <laughs> so great to have you. Uh, I know before I brought you on, I was letting the audience know uh, about some of the great things you have accomplished. Many of us know you as Aunt Viv on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but there are so many layers to your story that, that we all need to just celebrate and, and also talk about. So thank you so much for allowing me to, to, to have you on today. Thank you for the invitation. And when we look at your journey, uh, talk about what it was like growing up in New York and, and why where you lived at really showed you community and a family type atmosphere, if you don't mind sharing that with us. 
Well, I was born and raised in Manhattan and uh, grew up in what is now called the projects. But I grew up in a loving family. Uh, it was a whole family, mother, father, two brothers. And my mother was a strong force in my upbringing. She was like a sister to me, but she was also a mentor to me and a dear, dear mother to me. And I try to emulate her positives, which include um, being someone who accepted people as they were and took on the responsibility of making sure that the community was treated fairly. And I just had the best example of a strong black woman to emulate when I got older. So growing up in the projects just meant that we were all poor. My dad was a, a soda jerk, so he didn't make much money, made tips mostly. And my mother was a homemaker, but she was also a seamstress. She was a great cook. She was well-read. She was a church-going woman. She was a community organizer. So I had a lot of examples to follow. I also was in a community. Manhattan was a cultural mecca with people from all over the world and arts of all kinds at my fingertips. And I took advantage of all the opportunities that I could to see plays or to um, join a theater group or I was in a junior high school choir and we, an all city choir that sang at Carnegie Hall and the Philharmonic Hall. So I was exposed to a lot of wonderful things, which means that although we were monetarily poor, I was not culturally poor. I was culturally rich. I love that. And thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. And when you were growing up, what was it about the the entertainment or the arts that that, that really drew you uh, to want to pursue that? I really didn't start out to pursue the arts. Arts to me were the things that we did all the time. I learned how to knit and crochet and embroider and make pictures with sand colors and do crafts. And I just was always connected to my hands. I learned how to sew when I was nine years old and I was making my own clothes for the rest of my life. And the arts to me was just life. I didn't intend to have a career in the arts because I really didn't see how you made money in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, especially in acting, there weren't a lot of examples of black women who were actresses and making a good living. So I was pursuing a career as a teacher or once I got to college, um, decided I wanted to do interior design and architecture. So that's what I studied. I love but the it. arts came to me because I was gifted by my God with all sorts of talents and gifts. And I recognize that it is incumbent upon me to honor these gifts by expressing them and sharing them as best I can. So I take a lot of journeys down a lot of arts routes and I just enjoy the journey. And if I make some money at it, that's okay. I love it. And, and looking at, at some of your work um, as a photographic artist, I mean, 
you are extremely, extremely talented. And, and I encourage all of our listeners and everything to go to your website and, you know, to see some of your, your amazing work and talk about your college days now, because something happened um, during your college <laughs> career that, that you were bestowed an amazing honor and, and share that with the audience if they're, if they're not quite familiar with the story. Uh, I went to Northwestern University and it was in the 60s. Yeah, that's how old I am. <laughs> and uh, when I got there, I was one of 36 black students who were in the total population. But by the second year, there were about 120 of us there. Um, I was modeling since my freshman year. Uh, going back and forth between Chicago and New York, doing editorial modeling. I was registered with Eileen Ford, who was one of the top modeling agencies in New York. And that was all by happenstance. Somebody submitted my picture to her. She asked me to come and register with her. I did and started working. And all they asked me to do was smile. So I could do that. Um, while I was at Northwestern, my roommates decided to throw my modeling picture into the pot, as they say, for homecoming queen. Now, I didn't even know what a homecoming queen was. It was not part of my culture. And I looked in a yearbook and I said, oh, they go on the parade on homecoming weekend and they go to the football game. And OK, yeah, or we'll we'll see what this does. <laughs> Well, lo and behold, they elected me. And it was not a, a beautiful thing when they elected me because I was their first black homecoming queen and they were not thrilled with that at all. They, the president dissed me when he crowned me. He just stood next to me and he says, I have to hold this on your head while they take pictures and he turned and he walked away. I said, oh, okay, what's next? And somebody, a student in the crowd said, follow me, because everybody else had left this uh, hilltop event, said, you have to go now to Scott Hall and be presented to the Alumni Association. Said, oh, whatever. So I went and we were standing backstage waiting to be introduced. And the rest of the court, which were four white girls, three of them were consoling one who really was distraught that she had not won. And I asked her, do you want this crown? I, I want to go to Pittsburgh to see my boyfriend play football this weekend. I really don't want to be here, so <laughs> I'll give you the crown. And they just ignored me. And they were introduced, and you could hear from backstage the applause as each one was introduced. It was time to present the queen, and I walked out on stage, and it was dead silent. Wow. And I said, all right, I understand. And I picked up my gown and I went on back to the dorm and told my roommate, see what you did? <laughs> you messed up my weekend. <laughs> you, you're ready to go to Pittsburgh, right? That's where you want to go. <laughs> and uh, we went to the game and that's where I felt honored because word had gotten out and the black press was there. And I was on the cover of Jet Magazine as the first black homecoming queen at a white university. And I got into the Amsterdam news. So my mother and father knew that <laughs> what was going on out at Northwestern. And uh, it was just joyous in my community. I was never in the yearbook. They decided that year, I asked the um, 
when I didn't see myself in the yearbook, uh, I said, well, what happened? You gave three pages to the last homecoming queen. And they said, well, it wasn't important this year. I said, okay, thank you. And I went on about my business. And I determined that Northwestern University was not important to me. So when they came to me asking for money, I said, no, you'll never get a dime out of me. You disrespected me and I don't appreciate it. Goodbye. <laughs> and darn it, I got famous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he said, look at me now. Hey, my knocking. Yeah. Wow. How did I never went back? How did that experience um I know I know it had to affect you, but but how did you how did you deal with, with that? because um, you know my generation, we didn't have to to deal with it as much as, as your generation did, but but how did you how did you deal with it? And you dealt with it in a and it seemed like you dealt with it in a really, really uh, dynamic way. I determined that anybody who called in which was the first thing I heard when I tried to check into my room the first when I first got to Northwestern, the little girl standing in the doorway said, I'm not rooming with this again. And I asked her where they were. And uh, she looked at me, I said, okay, these people need an education. They are just ignorant. Mm -hmm. And I considered anybody who treated me less than I thought I deserved to be treated was just ignorant. They didn't know me and they didn't understand that I was a human being, I was talented, and I had gifts that I could share with them should they inquire. I love that. I love that. You know, because nowadays we we try to go fist to cuffs, and we can learn a lot from from how to how to deal with it and deal with it in, in a constructive it, way. Not worth the energy. Mm. They they're ignorant. They just don't. They haven't been exposed to anybody outside. They're very cocoonish community, and I feel sorry for them. But it really does not reflect on me. I intend to go about doing what I do and. If they're in the way, I intend to go around them or move them. Well, thank you so much for for, for sharing that. And see, this is what I'm talking about: the the, the great stories of of what you had to go through, you know. And sometimes we look at just the the product of your of your talent and and not look at the the journey that you traveled to to right. get where you were. That and and to still be a well-grounded, respectful, cheerful person going through all that. It really is a testament just to, like you said, being raised by by your family and, and teaching us, teaching us how, how we should act and how we should comport ourselves. When you finally got your break into the um, television um, industry, what was that like? I was modeling still, and I had graduated from school, married my college sweetheart, that guy in Pittsburgh, uh, <laughs> and uh, I was living in Chicago, modeling there. A gentleman named Robert Conrad came to town and was gonna shoot a television series there called The Duke. And he just was canvassing talent in Chicago. My modeling agency sent me over to read for a part. Um, I did, I read for the part. I had a great conversation with Bob and um, went back and my agent said, well, you were not selected for the program. Ah, 
go on about my business. I continue to model doing my Sears catalog and my television commercials, which were very lucrative back then in Chicago. And uh, three days before they got ready to shoot, I believe it was, a script came to the agent and she said, Daphne, I don't know how to tell you this, but you've been handwritten into the script. Bob Conrad wants you to play this part. So, oh, great. So that was my break into show business. I did that series with him. When I left Chicago a couple of years later, I moved out to LA to stick my fingers and toes into the big pond. And he was doing another show out there called A Man Called Sloan. And of course, when I got to LA, I, hi, Bob, how you doing? You call him up. <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, you're in town, great. I've got this part for you in the next show. And I'm going, okay, good. So I was able to get an agent. And with that, I was in the right place at the right time for when the industry was loosening up its desire for black women to be on television. And I started a career that even I could not have planned. It was wonderful. Just job after job after job. And, and if you don't mind me, me asking, when you would go to auditions, what what was that like? Was it uh, a, a warm environment because things started to loosen up then? Or did you still kind of feel the eyes of the room watching you a little bit more um, critical than they would do someone else? I don't believe that I felt odd. I felt I had been raised in a multicultural environment. I'd gone to school mostly with the dominant society. I was the only black in class or one of two for since the fourth grade. So it wasn't, I didn't feel any hesitation about being a black woman. I didn't feel any difference. I didn't feel any um, need to prepare myself to confront it. I always confront it when it shows up, but I don't expect it. And a lot of times it wasn't there. So I was just auditioning as another woman and either I got the job because they wanted me to be in it or they wanted someone else. So losing an audition was never a tragedy to me. It, it had nothing to do with me personally. It had to do with what they were looking for. And if they found that in the person, they hired that person. If it was my job, they hired me. If it was somebody else's job, bless them. It was somebody else's job. And I've spent my entire career accepting that if I go to an audition, either I'm what they're looking for or I'm not what they're looking for. And it's got nothing to do with me personally. I got other things I can do as well. That is the proper way to look at it. I'm... I love that. I love it's that. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard for people who are very, very passionate about their careers in this business. And they really think that what they are presenting to this person who is casting is a part of them. And it, it's not. It's what's on the paper. Yeah. Is it what they thought about when they wrote it down on that paper? And if it is, they'll see it. And that's what they want. If it's not, it has nothing to do with you. And a lot of people, I, I understand the passion that people have for this business. I 
unfortunately never had that grand passion where if I didn't get the job, it would be devastating. I didn't have that feeling for the industry. I was, I guess, opportunistic. I enjoyed that I was prepared when the opportunities came my way, but it wasn't life or death for me. And uh, I, hey, I bless those people who really are all in, but I, I, I was never all in. I was grateful. I was professional. I was learning every time I went on set and I would give them all of what I had when I was doing the part, but that had nothing to do with me as a person. And, and that really came across in your performances. I mean, I look back at seeing you know, on on certain episodes of uh, like Simon and Simon and, and Hill Street Blues and, and and parts that you would have, and I remember uh, my dad and I was like, "Who's that? Who's that actress right there? She's she's awesome." And then and then we we saw you just continue to to, to get parts and everything. And one show in particular that 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 really stood out in my mind was Frank's Place, and no doubt that was that was special to you as well. I mean. Uh, you played with your husband in there. Uh, talk about that experience, if you don't mind. That was not the first time I played with my husband. I, I started, the first show that I did with him was WKRP in Cincinnati, and I did two of those. And then we did Simon and Simon together. And a lot of the writers who wrote Simon and Simon were from KRP. So we had relationships there. And so they wrote me into Simon and Simon. And then after Simon and Simon, when the creator of WKRP, Hugh Wilson and my husband decided to do a sitcom together, they created Frank's Place. And Hugh Wilson says, I got a part for Daphne. And they cast me as the undertaker and the love interest to Frank. And it just happened to be, I'm working with my husband again. <laughs> It's difficult sometimes to work with your husband who expects the best out of an actress. And if you happen to be that actress, you get the critical expectation, even though he's your husband. So sometimes he, he was cross with me. Okay, what is it you're looking for? I'll try to give you that next time. <laughs> and, and so it was a fabulous, fabulous show. It was so well written. It was so well received. The audience was crazy about this show. And they tried to keep us on the air when the, when the um, network decided to cancel us. And they did a very good job of trying because the network gave us another show that followed Frank's Place because they could not renew Frank's place because of the head of the network. Sad political story. But uh, they gave us a show called Snoops, which Tim got to write and produce. And uh, he sold it as a kind of Nick and Nora Charles for he and I. And it was Tim and Daphne doing Snoops. So that continued. I continued working with him there. That was strenuous because he was writing directing, producing, post-producing, he was getting exhausted. And uh, at the end of that series, we decided we needed a rest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we moved to Virginia. 
and bought a farm there so he would just chill out a little bit. It was, I said, this is show business. This is not life. It, take it easy. I want to keep you around. So that was the uh, spring of 89 or 90. Yeah, 89 we moved. Um, but we did another show called the Tim and Daphne show in Baltimore. It was a talk show that we did for 72 episodes. And uh, we were being produced by the people who produced the then new Oprah show. And I guess Oprah decided that they didn't need all of us on television. So <laughs> we didn't get picked up. <laughs> but uh, it was a long, hard struggle to do a show every day, produce that and be hosts of that and, and be married. So I got a call from my agent after that show ended and said, we've got a audition for you for a um, sitcom with a young rapper. And I said, oh, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> I'll take a pass on that. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I didn't go to the audition, but I did see the show when it came on that fall. And I said, what a cute show. That was, okay, that's one I didn't do. So I continued to do other shows for a couple of years and got a call from NBC asking me to come and audition for Aunt Viv on The Fresh Prince. And I don't know if I hung up the phone before I got a plane ticket. <laughs> I, was, I was so excited about going. <laughs> so I went and auditioned with 200 and something other women. And by the third audition, third callback, I got to audition with James Avery. And oh, I fell in love with the guy. He was just such a wonderful, wonderful actor. And I guess our chemistry worked because I happened to get the job. I love it. And and I just have to let you know, you you are my favorite on Viv. When they, when, oh, everybody's allowed yeah. to choose. It's okay. <laughs> and, and you know what's interesting? When, when they cast you, I was like, she should have been on Viv in the beginning, you know, because you just fit that the mold perfectly. And I was so glad when, when you were cast at that. And what was it like working? Uh, I, I know you shared some of the things uh, during the, the 30th anniversary episode, but what, what were some of the things that, that you wanted to articulate about the experience that the, the show didn't really go into? It was such a comfortable, loving environment to work in. I had worked for years and years before that. And I arrived as a respected actress and that made it a very comfortable entrance into a show that was way on its way to being extremely popular. And they opened their arms to me like I had been there the whole time. They just totally embraced me. And that made for a very comfortable transition into what somebody would think would be an awkward situation. But it wasn't awkward for me because I didn't know the first Aunt Vivian. I had never met her. And I had nothing to do with whether she was there or not. So I just had a job. And my job was to be this person. And I loved it. So it was, it was easy for me. 
the hardest part was the first episode um, because I had never performed before a live audience on television. Even though I had done two WKRPs, which was shot before a live audience, the two episodes I was in were shot film style. So my first before a live audience was breathtaking for me. But as soon as I got into the rhythm of understanding to wait for a reaction from the audience and not trip over my words, I was very comfortable. I love it. And it came across on the screen and, and we we really appreciate it. Well, what was it like reuniting with everyone after, after so long? Ah, it was fabulous. It was wonderful because we've all been in touch over the years. They are just dear, dear people to me. They're very much like family. They're touchstone family to me. They, we've done weddings, we've done births of babies, we've sadly done funerals, but we have never been all in the same place at the same time. And the way Will and his company designed the reunion and staged it with surprises for all of us um, was just so exciting. It was a project that we were not allowed to talk about before we shot it. And it was um, full of surprises. The first thing is each one of us had to stay in a different hotel because they didn't want us reunionizing before the show. <laughs> and um, once we did get together on the set to see the set again, knowing that we had bawled our eyes out the last time we saw it, because we had to leave, um, it was just joyful. I love it. I love it. And what are what are you up to now? I, I've I looked at your website. You've you've written some books, some memoirs, and and some incredible things. So what's what, what's Miss Daphne up to now? Hmm. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> Since this COVID nonsense, I've been making masks since I have a whole room full of fabric. Um, I just choose some fabrics and make some masks and tried a couple of different patterns and determined one that had a HEPA filter in it. I put a filter in each one of my masks so that they're very, very um, purposeful as well as being designer-like. Um, so I've been doing that. I've been selling my cookbook, which is the mini memoir that I wrote. I've been um, redesigning my little studio where I am right now. Uh, so that's in the process. It's a little messy around here. But just enjoying finding me again and being self-reflective and kind of waiting to see what the spirits have for me next. I uh, have been writing my actual memoir. Uh, I have put it aside because the spirits are not talking to me this week. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do things with my hands. I've been cooking a lot more than I had been cooking for a long time. So I've been experimenting and just having a peaceful wait through this journey through COVID. Thank God I have been healthy. 
I've done a TV movie. Um, I've done uh, lots of things online, hosting things, and I'm part of lots of boards. I have one exciting board that I've been on uh, called Child Fund International. And just before COVID hit last February, we were able to go to India. Wow. And I spent uh, a week and a half in India and just saw the impact of the work that we're doing here on all those children and mothers and, and families in uh, the areas that we treat. And work with the Richmond Ballet and have been part of what has become a different way to show ballet because we have to do it virtually. And the ballet dancers have to dance with masks on. And we have lots of things that we can do to get through where we are now. I was politically motivated last year, very politically motivated and active with that and very happy. I'm happy of what happened last night and I hope that there's a conviction involved with the second impeachment because I told him that when they brought that man in there, but I'm not talking about that no more. <laughs> and, uh, I've just been involved and, and loving my husband and just having a good time. I All love my it. kids are fine. My grandkids are fine. So it's been a delight. That is so great to hear. And, and before I let you go, you kind of touched on something about when you and your husband, Tim, worked together, how Tim could be a, a professional and kind of kind of demanding. Um, and, and I know on set, you were the professional too, but but when you got home, did you ever have to have to set Tim straight sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> and he me. So it went both ways. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I really enjoyed seeing Tim on, on Greenleaf when he had a recurring role on there. He was he was just awesome. It was great to see him see him uh, again on the screen. And, and please let him know that we really enjoyed his character. And, and Excellent. Hopefully you can get to talk to him soon. He's got a new network that he set up. Uh, he's got a streaming network of wonderful global black projects that he's been involved with, his students that he's taught, uh, the films that they've done, and lots of other wonderful, wonderful projects that are on there. So it's H lgcytv.com I'm definitely going to check that out and I would love to hear what he's doing Legacy. as well. We'll definitely we'll, uh, de we'll definitely do it. How how can one find out more information about you uh, uh Daphne just keep up to date of some of the great things, your memoirs and that that cookbook. See, you can look at me, you can tell I love to eat. So, um <laughs> you cook it though? Uh you know what? I have a little slight disability. My fingers don't work, but I have a wife that's a good cook, so I can I can have her do it for me. So that'd be pretty cool. Okay. But I'm I'm gonna de definitely get there for it. But I love to eat though. So how can uh, we find out more information about the great things that you're doing? Just spell my name right and put a dot com at the end of it. DaphneMaxwellReed.com. I love it, and you have no idea, uh, Daphne. It's been an honor talking with you and spending some time with you. And you know, you look back to when you were younger and you think back to some of the people you want to meet and when you're able to actually meet them and talk to them, it is so surreal. And I appreciate you uh, spending time with me and, and, and letting us find out more information about you and your fantastic and great career. Thank you so much. It was lovely talking to you. 
We'll definitely do it again. Thank you so much. Peace. I tell you, it was really, really an honor to to chat with Daphne Maxwell Reed uh, to really talk about the things she had to go through uh, to where she is today and just an amazing journey that she had. All right, when we get back, we're going to be talking to an agent to the stars, find out what it means to be an agent, how he got into the business and some other good things as well. Right back after these messages. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ain't your average entertainment show. More than entertainment than what's on the screen. Connecting dots on what you see. Welcome back to the Entertainment Zone here on ABC News, Radio KMET, AM and FM. Say hello to our viewers on Fire TV, on Roku, all our listeners on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeart. Did I miss any more? If I did, I am so sorry. Thank you so much. What does it take to be an agent to the stars? What do they do? How did they get into the business in the first place? And what has been some of the amazing stories and people that they worked with? Well, my next guest is going to open up about that and more. So excited right now to have with me Walt Reeder Jr. Walt is a veteran when it comes to everything, hip hop, <laughs> acting, getting talent together. Walt, it's an yeah. honor to have you, my friend. How are you? Hey, man. I'm blessed to be in your space, man. Blessed to be in your presence, you know? Hey. It's another day in COVID, but, <laughs> but thank God for the internet. We're here. How about that? Tell me about it, man. You know, we're able to, to reach out virtually and, and hang out and, and chat it up and everything. And it's really an honor uh, talking to you, Walt, you know, because you've, you know, the reason why I created this show in the first place was to be a storyteller for ones out there who have incredible careers, who have stories that I think they need to be told even more and more so that we can really respect the hustle and the game that you guys have been in for many years. You know, sometimes we just look at the talent and we're like, yeah, wow, but it's like, wow to y'all. I mean, working behind the scenes and all these great stories that you guys are able to tell is truly amazing. So I just want to give you a props in and for you and what that. you what you've done over the years and everything. I appreciate that, brother. I mean, you know, I've always been a fan, 
you know, I started off as a as a as a rapper, man. I wanted I wanted to taste that for myself. And uh, you know, me and my partner years ago had a little little record deal. And it, you know, it didn't work out for us like like many of them don't, but I always had the 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 knack for business, you know, and I was always a fan of the cats behind the scenes. So I said, you know, you know, sometimes man, God got a calling for you. You know what I mean? Um, instead of, you know, holding a microphone, I hold a telephone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Walt. And you know what? I'm glad you shared that, man, because, you know, I remember when I was younger, you know, I was in the, the music industry and everything. And then I had my accident that kind of just flipped the script on me. I had to, to learn other things and reinvent myself, but I love, right. I love entertaining. And gotcha. I was glad I was in it for the love of the game. And Mark, we got to be in it for the love of the game if we really want to be in this business. Because like you said, you wanted to be a rapper at first and you're like, I'm yeah. holding the telephone now. Talk about when you had to come to that realization, like, you know what? I'm going to go over here because I can get paid just as much on this yeah. side. <laughs> so, you know, you know, like like most neighborhoods growing up in the streets of Philadelphia, man, no different from New York or whatever market you're from. You know, it all started with, you know, street DJing, us doing block parties and stuff like that, and taking equipment to the park. I mean, it's the same story you've heard over and over and over again. Um, and, you know, I had a talent and the gift to be an MC at a time and I also DJ like everything else. But then, you know, I, I got older, man. And, uh, you know, it wasn't coming to fruition like like I wanted it, even though we had a record deal. You know, I thought that was going to be the, you know, the the beginning of something that was going to take me to another, to another plane, but, but it, it didn't work out that way. So, you know, age was going, uh, you know, life was showing up, you know, I, I was interested in family and starting a family. Um, I just happened to grow up into in an entertainment business where my, where my old man was managing, uh, musical artists such as Billy Paul and, and Gene Carn and, and groups like that. So I always had the knack for, the music business. He was also a concert promoter. So I got to see that firsthand, you know, him taking me around as a young kid. Um, so when the rap piece didn't, didn't work out for me, you know, I, I had a, a, an idea. I'm going to go into college definitely. Um, but, but the thing was that, you know, the year I came out of school, we were in a recession. Um, and I couldn't find a gig, man. And my, my old man said, Hey, come work for me. And I said, all right, you know, I'll give it a try. You know, even though I was already working for him during high school in my and through my college years, he was talking about a full time position. So so with that, man, you know, I, I got in where I fit in. You know, I was doing odd in jobs and then I, I, I realized I had a knack for sales, um, a knack for sales that would would, would get me into this game and, and cultivate to be something successful for me. I wow. I mean, I love hearing that. I love hearing that story, uh, Walt, because it just really shows, you know, the determination you had and you wasn't gonna quit, you know, that you saw something, you was gonna grab the grab the bull by the horns and how important the education was into yeah. in, into doing so. And and I got a I got a Billy Paul story for you. It, okay. It, All it's, right. It's so funny. Um I was like two years old and we was at our like our, our congregation meeting, right? And and my mom tells a story in another 
person who knew me when I was little too. They said I was two years old singing like me and Mrs. Jones, you know, inside right. inside inside of a congregation meeting talking about an affair. So that's my that's my Billy Ball. So I, I just want I just want I just wanted to share that. So so we so we kinda God, God rest his soul, man. Yeah he that's that I call him Uncle Billy and his wife is Blanche. That's my auntie. Yep so so so, so, so tell him that we tell so tell make sure you tell your auntie Blanche there's a little connection that we that we have here yeah, when I was man. like two years Definitely. old. But 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 in, exactly. and, and talk about having your father in the industry and and how that kind of molded you into okay. the 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 executive just the the businessman I'm sorry the businessman that you are today I forgot I, I changed that the term I said we're not in business we in business so what yeah. how did that, how did that mold you my friend yeah, so here it is in a nutshell. Like, my old man was always an entrepreneur, so the entrepreneur spirit was just innately in me. I mean, you know, he owned uh, clothing stores as a young man, and he was a concert promoter during that time period. And then, you know, he got into the management game. So I had the opportunity to watch that close up, right, um, to see the pitfalls, to understand, um, you know, the high points and the low points, and, you know, just, just learning from afar. Um the way it shaped me was, you know, I had the ability to see what not to do and what to do while I'm getting paid at the same time in a family business. A lot of people don't have that luxury. You know, when you work for corporate, man, it's like you in and out. Um, so I, I had a, a, a chance to really get seasoned at it by just, you know, hearing and, um, and, and, and watching the game. Uh, one thing about when I worked with my old man, you know, he was involved with a lot of the 70s groups and stuff like that. So when I came out of school, man, you know, my pop told me, you know, if you can sell Billy Paul and Harold Melvin's Blue Notes and the Delphonics and stuff like that, he said, man, you can sell anything. You know, I said, OK, you know, I give it a whirl. And then, um, you know, it worked for me, man. I, You know. It's a lot of practice. You know, the first time I, I picked up a telephone, man, I was scared to death. You know, just communicating with somebody on the other side of the world. And then, you know, my old man was like, hey, bro, they ain't going to bite. You know, you got to you got to get what you got to get from them over the telephone because you don't get the luxury of flying everywhere to cultivate deals. So, you know, that that's what it was for me, man. And then for, from that, you know, I wanted to help my father grow his business at that time. Um, so I had to cultivate my own relationships and that was the birth of hip hop too. You know, we were in that and, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to go do stuff like Dougie Fresh and LL and Public Enemy and, you know, put them on the road. And how the agency piece came about is because, like I told you, my old man managed Billy Paul and Gene and all of them. Well, his client base, the, the agencies that he had them signed to, mm -hmm. they weren't, they weren't generating enough revenue for him. So he started his own agency and that's how the agency came about. Um, and with that, we grew the agency and turned it into something successful, man. And then, you know, I, in 1999, I started my own company, Big Block Entertainment. Um, my pop gave me a, a, he didn't only teach me how to fish. He gave me a fishing rod. So I took my fishing rod, man. I loaded it up with a lot of bait in 1999. I started Big Block Entertainment. And and the beauty of that for me is I already had a worth of relationship of people and artists that I could depend on promoters and artists alike um, to to make sure that they were going to feed me business. Um, 
you know, one thing I learned about this business, man, you have to be likable. Um, that's, that's the, that's one of the main keys to success. You know, uh, you know, in life we encounter arrogance and people that are pompous and all of that other good stuff. You know, you don't need that energy, you know, and you got to be different in it to, to present light in situations. So, you know, my personality is just that way, man. You know, I, I try to get into people, see what the needs are, see what, see what, see where they are in life and see, see if I can help them, you know, in, in their, in their walk. Now, I love it. I love it. And just a short uh, amount of time that I've, you know, spend with you, my brother. It's like, man, that's like you cool peoples, man. It's like we sitting down having a cheesesteak or something. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, man. Yeah, you know, bro. You know, and, yeah, and, and I really love um, one of like your principles that you live by. And I think it's building strong relationships in the entertainment community and building on the relationships to get more business. And and, you know, I, I, I think I think that's incredible that that you. Yeah, that's one of like your core values because you look at some of the people that you worked with. You know, you worked with Dougie Fresh, and and I think you have a Dougie Fresh story, don't you? I got a, I got so many Dougie Fresh stories, brother. You know, that's <laughs> that's my homeboy, man. And in fact, his DJ Chill Will is one of my best friends. So you know, but let me let me tell you, like you know, breaking down those barriers, you got to understand where that comes from. You know, in hip hop, you know, there were there was Def Jam and, and and black presence like that, right? They were black managers, but they weren't black booking agents, right? They they were really controlled by, you know, other other firms that didn't look like us. Um, so for me to go to to them and say, listen, I'm a brother that could put you to work, you know, it was a whole different experience and a challenge at that time. So, you know, it was best for me to to try to cultivate a relationship first. Then give them the gift instead of giving them the gift first without having the relationship there. I'm dead in the water, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, it's kind of like kind of like what we had. When we was growing up, right? Uh, we said game, yeah. game is sold and not told, right? I mean, there you go, there you go. So yeah, man. So I, you know, Big Daddy Kane, Kwame, you know, all of that whole genre of music. Those guys became my footprint of what I was really interested in. because remember, I came out of the rap world myself. And, um, you know, they were my heroes, but at the same time, they, you know, I was making them, uh, you know, a, a part of, of my brand to cultivate this whole agency game. And then, and then from there, you know, you move through space, you know, as, as the music changes, you know, you build different relationships and then it's like this, you know, one person tells another person. So, so that's how that come, comes about. You know, this is what I, I, I appreciate about you and me having this, this thought with you. I'm going to clear up some misconceptions right here. You know, when growing up when your MTV raps was on, you know, everybody was like, when this particular song came on with Ed Lover, it was a little dance. I was like, Ed Lover dance. I would say, no, you're responsible for that, for that song. Let me clear my throat. So, uh, right. you know, let, right. let, let's talk about that. Let's clear up a misconception. It wasn't created for the Ed Lover dance. You know, tell them, tell them no. what time it is, Walt. No. <laughs> Let me tell you about the clear my throat, man. You know, so so I'm a, I'm a booking agent, right? But my first love was management, man. I always wanted to be an artist manager, dude. So, you know, and I studied the game. I, I used to I used to treat Billboard magazine like the Bible, man. Understanding who all the players were, you know, I, I learned every record company that was out there at the time. And then then back then, as you might know, there were other 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 uh, entities like BRE and Impact and 
you know, and then we had conventions to go to during those time periods, man, where we could all get together as a people and, and, and be in one building to create some synergy. And then if you didn't have the opportunity to connect with somebody over the phone, that was your opportunity to go introduce yourself, give out your business card. I mean, it was just it was just a beautiful experience, man. But I always had the love for management. <clears throat> it just so happens that, you know, being a manager from the onset, man, you need some cash and some cash flow. So what created that opportunity was the agency. Um, and I used to give dates to a brother by the name of DJ Cool out of Washington, D.C. And we fo- we formed a relationship and then, you know, it got to a point, making a long story short, that I said, yo, man, where's your manager? Because I'm talking directly to him about deals. And he said, well, I haven't seen my manager in three years. I wow. said, oh, man, I got to get to D.C. You know, <laughs> and I knew I had something special in him, man, because of his voice capacity, um, his his fiber in his voice, not just his rap. You know, it was it was more about his voice control. You know, you know, when you hear an artist you know that that's that guy. Like Buster has that same fiber in his voice. You know, Fat Man Scoop has that fiber in their voice. And and Cool possesses a lot of that, man. So, you know, not only that, I made a friend with him, right? So, you know, I'm like, dude, I got to get you out of D.C. Like, you need another record deal. Because he was signed to an indie. Mm-hmm. And the indie was doing a great job for him, but I saw more and a, and a better potential. And there was a little piece on the record that everybody gravitated to in Philly that he did from a call and response. And and it had the 900 number behind it. And it was just a little break. And everybody was calling saying, hey, man, you need to do something with this. So, hey, he, he took it and, and ran with it. I had him record it live in uh, Philadelphia at a spot called Bahama Bay. We shot the video in uh, Gotham's. And then I, I got him to deal with uh, Rick Rubin who was, he's in LA, uh, he started Deaf America Records mm-hmm. after he left Russell Simmons. So, so the, and it was a big war at the time, but I took Ruben as, you know, his relationship with Russell and the whole Def Jam experience. Why wouldn't you want to place your artist at that time of life with somebody like that? So, so that, that, that came and then clear my throat, man, that became a national anthem. We don't call that a record anymore. I mean, all walks of life, no, let me clear my throat. And so, and then Cool's energy fit my personality and my management style. Um, I like to create a family environment. You know, I, I, I like to have, you know, team. You know, it's, it's not just what I say and what I do. Like, it's a whole thought process that goes into, you know, allowing me to let my uh, uh, artists exercise, you know, their, their, their business sense also. You know, I don't want to be the only one that makes the decision. Sometimes I'm the final authority because that's what you chose me to do and you respect my role that way. But but other than that, man, I love synergy, man, and, and I love people. So that's why we get along. And, 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 and I make sure he works every weekend. Wow. Every weekend. And, so. and, and you know what? When you look at all the things that you have done over the years and the decisions that you make that you're still, you know, reaping the benefits of it now, you know, they got to kind of be really gratifying, man. Like, you know, I'm glad I took this chance. I'm glad I hooked yeah. up with DJ Cool. I'm glad I did this, you know, with, with, uh, Dana Dane and Dougie Fresh and, and yeah. even, even like on the West Coast working, yeah. working like with Ice Cube and everything like that. You know, it's, yeah. it, it just really has to, has to help, you know, fortify you even more. And especially nowadays, the game has changed and, and, and how, 
how has it made your job either more difficult or has it made your job more easy now? Just the way things are going, not only with COVID, but just the the internet, the streaming and, and everything. Well, I think that the internet piece helps because artists get to work their own platforms, which makes them more valuable to a promoter. Um, it's all about, you know, how many friends you have, how you work in your social media, you know, what do your numbers look like? And those become viable candidates for for deals for promoters um you know covid covid was the hiccup for all of us i mean you know the entertainment industry was the first to go and the last to come back on because you know we're in the concert business man we're in the entertainment business and i'm not just limiting it to music i mean the nfl the nba the universal soul circus i don't i don't care what, what what entity you use it's just that we are all in a space where we gather to watch and to be entertained. So when COVID came and because of social distancing, it kind of shut us down for a minute. Um, thank God for the Internet that we still can reach people, touch people and, and even sit with, with people like yourself, man, and, 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 and help increase brand awareness and, and all that kind of stuff. I do think that one thing that COVID has done, it has made us stronger as a community, right? Um, a lot of us are relying on finances that, that, you know, we had to pull from and it's making our way out of no way. But I believe, you know, the light will be at the end of the tunnel man, and, and that God will bless all of us and we'll come back stronger than ever. I really do. And, you know, sometimes you got to step out on faith and just wait on God to, to deliver what he's going to deliver, man, because we don't know it all. You know, we're just talented human, human vessels that, you know, explain our talent through business. And and sometimes, you know, it's a higher power that says not right now. So we just got to wait, man, and see what happens. I think 2021 going in the middle will be promising. And then going into 2022, we could probably really get back to normal. Uh, as, as we know it with a, with a couple, you know, different pieces to it. But it, it's going to be, you know, back to, to, way, to the way it was, I believe. Now, you know, I, I, I totally, you know, agree with you. You know, when you look at the time that COVID has, has hit us, we, we can either do one or two things. One, we can reinvent ourselves or we can hustle even more or, or get our strategy together. So when we are able to jump, um, we can, we're ready to rock and roll. We can make it do what it does. Or we can sit back and be like, yeah. Oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. Yeah, man. You know, I'm yeah. on the other side. I'm like, Hey, let's reinvent ourselves. Let's do this. Let's go. do that. There you go. You know, let, let, let's keep it going now, man. But what I've realized over the years, man, is that it's a saying I say that all birds ain't meant to fly anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so some people are going to stay penguins. <laughs> some people are going to stay pink, uh, peacocks. But, you know, the Eagles will soar, man. So it's just a test of time. That's all. Only the strong will survive. That that's, that statement is so true. Nah, that is that that is that's awesome. Hey, but before yeah. before I wrap this up and, and everything, cause I, you know, I really appreciate the time that you that you're sharing with me right now and about your career and everything. Is there anything else out there you'd like for for the fans, you know, just for people in general to 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 take away from this interview or anything you'd like to share with us? Well, you know, I, I I think it really harms on what we just came out of, man. It's just that, you know, you got to stay fast and stay positive with good energy all the time, man. You know, there's going to be pitfalls and downsides in anything that you do in life. I mean, COVID has really revealed itself, you know, to individuals to say, okay, 
can I do this or can't I? You know, and then we're not supposed to have fear as a people, you know. Um, so I would say that to the people that are watching this, whatever, whatever you have in mind to do, this might be the time to start your business. Right. You know, there's no time to wait, you know, put a plan together and let's get something going. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with working with corporate America, but there's a lot of folks that have been scared to just jump out there and step out on faith. This might be the time that you've been waiting for. So, you know, get it together, put a couple couple dollars up, man, and, and put your plan into action. You know, you can always go back and go get that gig. How about that? I love it. I love it, Walt. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's real talk, man. You know what I mean? It's like in the, you know, we was growing up that, that cost you a few dollars to hear that kind of knowledge. But you but, <laughs> but you know, you, you you know, you spilled it to us free. And I, I appreciate that, my friend. And, yeah, and and for once to 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 follow some of the great things that you're doing at your company and some of the, the great people that you represent, what is the best way for them to, to keep in contact with you and so they can follow everything? Um, my uh, my. Uh... Facebook is Walt Reader Jr. And my Instagram is uh, Walt Jr. Uh, Big Block ENT. Um, or also you can email me at WaltJR at B-I-G B-L-O-C dot com. Awesome. Well, yeah. Walt, it's been an honor chopping it up with you and and you also, brother. And man, let me just say kudos to you, man, and your platform, brother. Oh, you know, yeah. uh, I wish you the best, man. You know, it, not too many brothers in that space, man, that that that, you know, know how to take no for an answer and keep moving. <laughs> hey. You know what I'm talking about? So oh, yeah. so keep it going, man. Keep it going. Reach, you know, and if I can help you anyway, man, reach some other people, some other contacts, brother. Let me know, man, because, you know, it, it's, it's all about us. One thing COVID has definitely taught taught me that we have to stick together as a people you know and the time is now especially with just coming coming out of that type of election we had and the black lives matter and all of that like we all have to stay together as a people no matter what entity of industry we're in we all can form a synergy to make our community win and that's what that's what we need to to do further going into the future. Well, you know, I really appreciate all your kind words and your sentiment, my brother. You know, it's uh, you know, it's been a long tow for all of us, and and you know, the the future looks bright for us, and we just keep yeah. on keep on plugging along. And and same here, you ever need to come back and 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 get something off your chest? Always come on back. We'll we'll, we'll chat. Hey man, about it. I love it. I love it, brother. When you come to Philly, man, I got some cheesesteaks for you. Hey, I am there. I am there. I'm, I'm gonna go on my diet right now, so every day that I'm down there, I can have a cheesesteak. All right. I love it. I love it, bro. All right, great chatting with you, my friend. Okay, you too, man. Uh-huh. A huge shout out to Walt Reader. Enjoy chatting with him. I'm looking forward to getting me a Philly cheesesteak. That's what I'm talking about. Enjoyed finding out about his career, some things that he's continuing to do, and some amazing stories with his journey. All right, time for me to get out of here. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. You can always connect with me, paulamadeuslane.com. You can find me on all the social media platforms. Drop me a note. Drop the team a note. we love to hear from you. Take care, folks. Talk to you soon. Ain't your average entertainment show More than entertainment than what's on the screen Connecting dots on what you see With the Lucky Land Slots You can get lucky just about anywhere 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.